place in chapter seven, uh, chapter three. We'll pick up in verse number seven, and we are uh, in week number six of uh, looking at the, or week number five of looking at the seven churches. We combined a couple of them a few weeks ago, but this week uh, we'll be uh, looking at the church in Philadelphia, Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse number seven. And just to recap where we've been, we know that Jesus has come to uh, speak to John, the Apostle John. John has been exiled on the Isle of Patmos for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come to give him this revelation. And John is to write these things down and to distribute them uh, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And so we see through this, as we established last week, one of the reasons that it's important for us to look at these churches from so long ago is because Jesus Christ loves the local church. Jesus Christ loves the local assemblies, the local bodies that meet every week and establish his church. And so it was important to him to send these letters to these churches, and it's important for us today to look at these seven letters and to see how these still relate to us today what we can learn in our individual lives and as a church collectively. Because we believe that every single one of us has an identity and a purpose. Every single one of us who call, uh, have, have been born again, we have an identity in Christ and we have a purpose through that that he wants to accomplish through us. And I also believe that as a result, each and every church has an identity in Christ and we all have a purpose to accomplish so if you would stand with me for just a moment as we honor the reading of God's word, beginning in verse number 7. John writes this, the words of Jesus, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, bless our meeting here together this morning. Bless our time. Father, bless the words that uh, are spoken. And may they uh, open our hearts and minds to know more about you and your plan for us and, and our local churches. In Jesus' name, amen. The Philadelphia, as most of us know, means the city of brotherly what? City of brotherly love. Brotherly love. I don't know how many of you have a brother. I didn't grow up with a brother, but a lot of you grew up with a brother. Is it always brotherly love between brothers? Wesley, you're shaking your head. No, I can understand it. I, grew, I, I have raised two brothers in, in my house, 
And I know that it's not always brotherly love. Uh, in the mornings getting ready for school when they were younger, I have had some fist fights in my kitchen and living room that really could have I could have charged uh, to be on pay-per-view. Made me nervous. But that now they have grown up and they're, they're much older, and now when they come in and out of a room, I'll sometimes hear them say, I love you. And I'm shocked that these two boys who used to, uh, I thought were going to, to hurt each other real bad, now will tell each other they love each other. So it, it, it does happen sometimes that brotherly love comes, uh, comes into play. But we know this is the, the meaning of the word Philadelphia. Um, and we see here Jesus addressing this church. Uh, and we see, as in all the letters, we see him first of all exclaiming and proclaiming who he is. He proclaims uh, who he is in his glory. And the description that he gives here in the beginning of one who holds the key to, of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Um, the words of the true one, the words of the holy one, all of these things that he says here point to one thing and that he is the Messiah. That he is the Messiah who was prophesied by Isaiah who wrote these words about the key of David that he is the one who would come to be the life and resurrection of his people, the, the savior of his people. And all of the phrases here that he used points back to his deity, that he is God, and that he also is the Messiah. And we look at these and we see that holiness, he, he talks about his holiness, and we know that it's one of the main attributes, it's probably the most important attribute of the character of God. And Jesus says here that he is holy. He says, I, I, by saying that, he's declaring, I would never lead you into a place of moral error. I would never, you can follow me and you can, you can guarantee that I will never lead you into a place where you would be living in a way that wouldn't be pleasing to God the Father. And he says, he also he says that he is true. He says also in saying that, that he wouldn't lead his people into a place of intellectual error. Every word that he says, he guarantees it to be true, he guarantees it to be right, and he guarantees it to be how we should follow and live our lives. Now think about those two words, true and holy. When we think about the word true, we think about different things. We think about one of the words that came to my mind when I thought about the word true is reliability. How many things in this world can we actually say that we can 100% rely on them? Even when we go and we buy something brand new, what is the first thing after we pay a whole lot of money for what we've just bought, what is the first thing they do after we buy that? They try to sell us something else, a warranty. And, 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 and we've, we've just bought this brand new product, and we've just paid a whole lot of money for it, and now they want us to pay extra because, in my mind, you're saying to me, you can buy it, and it's brand new, but we don't really know if it's reliable. But if it does, if you'll pay us a bunch of money, we'll guarantee that we'll, we'll fix it. Listen, there's no question when we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't need a warranty. Jesus is true. Jesus is, Jesus is right. He there's no warranty. There's, uh, Jesus is his own guarantee. We can always rely on him. 
And that word holy, when I read that word, I think about the pureness of God. I think about the pureness. I think about the sinless existence that Jesus led. And I realize that Jesus is the only source in all of the world of complete reliability and purity. Now, what, what or who are we trusting in this morning? If we're trusting in something other than Jesus, can we say that it's completely reliable? Can we say that it's completely pure? He goes on and he says here, after he establishes himself to this church, he uses the phrase that he uses in all the letters when he says, I know your works. In other words, I see your lives. I see what you are doing. And as he says this, we see that Philadelphia is one of only two, one of only two churches out of the seven, including Smyrna, that doesn't receive a rebuke here. And he goes on to tell them, he begins by saying, I know that you're small, but you're significant. I read a story this week uh, about an old man walking the beach at dawn. And he noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. He caught up with the young man and he asked him, what in the world are you doing? The answer was that the stranded starfish would die if left in the morning sun. But the beach goes on for miles and miles, and there are millions of starfish, countered the man. How can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand and then threw it into to the safety of the waves, and he said it made a difference to this one. We may be small, but we can make a difference in whatever it is that we're doing. The city of Philadelphia was making a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is commending them here for what they are doing. He says, I've set before you an open door. Jesus is the only one who has total authority to do that, and he says, "You, I'm opening a door to you, and in our, in our reading it looks like he's opening a door for them to go and be a missional evangelistic church to the rest of the area of Asia Minor. It seems that Jesus has been watching their faithfulness in how they are evangelizing and how they are loving and how they are taking care of others. And now he's opening the door for even greater ministry for them. And he says that there is absolutely no one who can shut the door that I'm opening. He says, I know that you are of little power. You are of little power. Now this is not the world's view of people of strength. It's not how the world looks, how Jesus looks at this group, would not be how the world would look at them. He said, well, but what he's saying here is you realize your smallness. You realize your brokenness. You realize your need for a complete transformation of your life through me. And because of your humility and recognizing your smallness and your brokenness, I know that we, we're going, you're going to be used mightily because we know that God is at his most powerful in us when we admit our smallness and our brokenness. We see Paul's testimony in his letter to the church at Corinth where he told them that he gives this litany of things that had happened to him and things that were wrong with him. And he says to them, when I am at my weakest, Jesus is at my strongest. Now think about this from the viewpoint of the world where, where Jesus is speaking to them. 
Think about the viewpoint of this from the Roman world that Jesus is, is, is writing to here. They are great. The, Roman, the Romans are great. They're powerful. They're conquering. They see no room in anyone's life for meekness, humility, or modesty. Think about Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. There is he's giving his, he, he's supposed to give his defense before Pilate. This powerful governor of, of the area where Jesus was. And, and think about how ruthless and how cruel that he was and how he got to the standing and the position that he was in. And Jesus is standing there before him meek and mild and humble, not saying a word in his own defense. And this is Jesus is saying to this church at Rome, your humility, your modesty, your meekness is Christ-like. You may seem insignificant, but you are more powerful than this whole empire that is around you. We look at the world and we see that the Romans fail. We see that their empire fell, but this small insignificant church there in Philadelphia became so powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ that we're still speaking about them 2,000 years later this morning, and they're a testimony of faithfulness to Christ and what he can do, and they're a testimony to the power of God. The Roman Empire fell, but this church is still talked about today for being uh, faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. With little else in this world, they've kept his name, they've not denied the name of Jesus. But what do you have in your life that you could say is more valuable than the name of Jesus? What do you have that is worth denying Christ with our lives and, and, and how we live? This church, this small church made a difference. And Jesus says, as he goes on here, he says, I will show others my love for this church. He says, you may seem small and insignificant to the powerful world around you, but someday I will humble them before you. Beginning in verse number 9, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. You may seem insignificant to this world, but someday, and we could go through all kind of uh, debate about what he means here, but he says someday because of your humility and because of your meekness and because of your love for others and because of your faithful to tell others about me, that someday I will humble those people before you. James said this in James 4.10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility. And he, we see that here in the words of Jesus. So we see his takeaway with them and now look at his promises in this turnaround. He says that your patient endurance will keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the world. Now right here we could stop and we could spend the next 30 minutes debating um, uh, of the tribulation. We could debate whether you're a, or whether you believe in a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib tribulation. And the, the horrifying part of it is, is that most of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that. Amen? Thank you, Scott. But here's what we're going to do. We're not going to get in that debate because it would be fruitless to, to do so this morning. 
But here's what I want you to see that he's promising this church and that he's saying to you and I here this morning. He's saying that there is a promise of preservation when we're in a trial. He's saying that we are going to, there's, there's no doubt in this world and in this life that we're going to go through trials and tribulations. And there's no doubt in this, in this life that, that it's going to happen and it, to some degree it's going, to, it's going to look like it happens worse to some people than others. But we, it doesn't matter what, whatever we're in, it is, it, it's, it's painful to us at the time. And he says that I'm promising you that while you're going through that trial, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to preserve you while you're there. And to be kept from the evil one doesn't mean that we're going to be removed from his presence, but simply to be kept from his harmful power. Think about Job there in all that he went through. As Satan was going to and fro around the earth looking for people uh, to, to basically to devour their lives. And he sees Job who's, li Job, who's li living a, a, a righteous and holy life. And he, began, he gets permission from God to put him in the greatest trial and tribulation that you can just about read about anywhere. But Job stays steadfast with God. Think about Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. When after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, being out in the wilderness and coming out weak and hungry and thirsty, and there's Satan right there to tempt him and to, and to put him in a trial. But Jesus, feasting upon the word of God, defeats him as you and I have the promise that we can also. Now here's our problem in our lives. How many times... Have we been put in the fire? Have we been put in the trial? Or we've been put in some type of tribulation? And we begin to pray and we begin to ask God for help or we begin to ask God for mercy. But how many times have we got impatient and we've went on around God and we've, we've decided we're not going to wait on God anymore? And how many times have we made the situation even worse by doing so? And, and so many times God, is, as he's saying here to the church at Philadelphia, he's saying, You've been faithful. You've been patient. And I'm going to, you've kept my word. And I'm going to reward you because of your patient endurance in the trials that you may have faced. Um, he goes on to say to them that they should hold fast to what they have. I will keep you from the, the hour of trial that is coming the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now, I read a, another story this week about a, a man named Eamon Coughlin who was the Irish world track record holder at 1,500 meters. He's running in a qualifying heat at the World Indoor Track Championships in Indianapolis. With two and a half laps left, he falls and everyone passes him by. But he gets up, and with great effort, he manages to catch the leaders. With only 20 yards left in the race, he's in third place, and third place is good enough to qualify him for the finals, and he knows if he gets to the finals, he'll win. He looks over his shoulder to the inside, and he sees no one coming on his inside. But while he's looking... On the outside of him, another runner charges hard on his outside and passes him 
one yard before the finish and eliminated him from the finals. His great comeback effort was rendered worthless because he took his eyes off the finish line. It's tempting for us to let up when the sights around us look favorable, but when we finish well in the Christian race, only when we fix our eyes on the goal, and that goal is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to this church here, I am coming soon. Now to some of the other churches when Jesus said, I am coming soon, they had to look at that with fear and trembling. Because what he was saying was, you're not living the way that you have been called to live, and because of that, I am coming soon in judgment, and I may even snuff out your candle, and your church may not exist anymore. But to the church at Philadelphia, when he says, when he says I am coming soon, it's not a threat of judgment, but it's a great promise. It's a great promise to these people. And it's not only for the church at Philadelphia, but for you and I here this morning today. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Jesus Christ says, I am coming soon. Now, what does soon mean? He said this how many? He said this over 2,000 years ago. So soon doesn't, soon, soon doesn't mean at least within 2,000 years, but soon we should live as if he's coming back this afternoon. And we should live with a sense of anticipation that he may come back this afternoon for us. And we should live in such a way as to be pleasing to him no matter when he comes. And we should live in such an anticipation that that anticipation wants to, it begs to make us tell other people that Jesus is coming soon. Um, Tyler sent me a, sent a message to my neighborhood on Facebook yesterday. I said I talked last week about the uh, the people coming and giving me a Watchtower uh, magazine on my porch a couple of weeks ago. Well, Tyler sent out an alert to my whole neighborhood that uh, they were in the neighborhood and they were coming knocking on doors. So um, it was we we all got prepared. Um, I, yesterday we all had time to get our Bibles and get prepared and be ready for them when they came and and uh, so. And to let them know, they, they didn't come back to the house, but to let them know that, hey, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And you going door to door and trying to work to get Jesus' privilege and pleasure is not going to work. It's not going to happen. You have to have for repentance in your life. You've had to repent of your sins and giving your life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and so he says here, this great promise, I am coming soon. Now, there's a lot of debate that could be made right here, but here's three things that I want you to be assured of. Number one is someday we will be removed from this earth. And secondly, we will be given heavenly bodies that are eternal. And thirdly, we will spend eternity with the Lord. That's what's important. And he goes on to make this promise as he finishes this letter here he says the one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name now that's, that's a promise that deserves looking at for just a moment he says I will make him a pillar in the temple 
See, in Philadelphia, there were a lot of major earthquakes. And so when they built a structure such as a temple, they built it with the largest and tallest pillars that they could possibly use. And they wanted those pillars to be unshakable and unmovable no matter what the earth did. So that those people who were in the temple at the time that an earthquake may come could look at those pillars and know that they were safe and secure no matter what was happening around them. And Jesus says to this church here in Philadelphia and to the people there, he says, I am going to make you as one of the pillars in the temple. I'm going to make you strong and steadfast. I'm going to make you unshakable and unmovable no matter what's going on around you. Everything can be falling apart. Everything can be going wrong. But because of our relationship together and because of your faith in me and the trust that you've placed in me, I'm going to make you unshakable and unmovable. And people are going to be able to look at you as they look at the pillars in the temple. And they're going to be able to see your strength. And they're going to be able to see how you sustain through all these things. And it's going to make you an example that gives you an opportunity to say that my strength is found in Jesus Christ. He not only promises that to these people, but he also, he not only promises that they'll be made a pillar in the temple, but he says, we will, you shall never go out of it. Never go out of it. Now think about that for just a minute. There's coming a day and time where we'll never go out of the presence of God. All these promises that he has made here, he's assuring them and he's reassuring them and he's saying there's coming a day and time where all these things will pass and you will be in my presence forever and there will be no end to your enjoyment of God's presence. Think about that. Think about where you may be in life and think about this promise that God has written that there's coming a day where we will never go out of his presence and we will always be there to enjoy the fruitful life of being in his presence. And he finishes there in verse number 12 and he talks about how someday he's going to write on us a name the name of God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and even his own new name. And he promises that, that those things are eternal. And he promises that those things are, ne are, are never going to be done away with. Now, things may look, things in your life right now, I don't know exactly who I'm preaching to. Things in your life right now may be really tough. You may be going through a really hard time in your life. You may be going through a time of despair. You may be going through um, all kinds of, of, of things that no one around you sitting near you could even imagine that you're going through. But let me give you assurance here today of the promises of, of Jesus Christ that he's written to us here through this church at Philadelphia. That someday he's come, that he's coming soon. And that we're going to be removed from these things. And as Paul wrote 
Some days these th- someday these things will look like a light momentary affliction. Someday in, uh, when we are in the presence of God and we are uh, surrounded by the glory of God, the things that we left here will be so dim and, and be so far removed and we will enjoy the presence of God forever. I don't know what your situation or your circumstance may be, but that's a wonderful promise this morning to have and to know that we have eternity to look forward to to being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that our problems and our situations here are nothing compared to the glory that we're going to be surrounded by in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting to read and to see that what Jesus told this faithful church 2,000 years ago is still applicable to our lives today because of our relationship with Jesus. And, And it should fill our hearts with joy. It should fill our hearts with gladness. And it should fill our hearts with the anticipation that we have this relationship with him and that these things are true for us today. And this morning, you may be here and you may not have the assurance of life eternal. You may know that there has not been a place in time in your life where you have repented of your sins, you have realized your smallness and brokenness, and you've said that this is larger than me, and I need a Savior. And you may be here this morning, and you may be in that very situation. This morning would be the perfect time for you to say, I want to repent of my sins, and I want to know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I want to know that these things that Jesus promised are true in my life. Now would be the perfect time for you to come and allow us to share scripture with you and to show you how you can know that you have life eternal. Maybe you have done that. You've put off believer's baptism or you've put off church membership. Now would be a wonderful time during this time of invitation, decision. It would be a wonderful time for you to come and declare those things public to this congregation. I'm going to ask Darren to come as you stand this morning. As we pray, Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to share from your word, to look in your word, and to learn more about the promises that you have for each and every one of us. And how you've called each and every one of us. You've given each of us an identity, and you've given each one of us a purpose. You love the local church, and you love this church, and you want us to live out your purpose through being here. Father, we pray that through the words that we've read this morning, the words that we have looked at, that you will open our hearts to the promises of Jesus and how we can have life more abundantly through those words. Father, thank you for giving us direction. Thank you for all that you do for us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak here this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.